Good morning, everyone. Oh, good. Good response. Uh, I'm Preston Pitts. I'm an elder here at Common Ground. So excited to be with you this morning. There's nothing more exciting than opening God's Word together and see what God's going to say to us. And I love it because He speaks individually to all of us. So with that, we're going to be continuing with our series, our series, Say What? I practiced that all week, just so you know. And, uh, and uh, uh, what a great series this is. And today, the, the Say What is going into the book of Jonah. And we're going to look at the, the book of Jonah. Jonah is a prophetic book, and it is in the section of the Bible, in the prophetic section. But a comment, and so for those of you that want to turn to it, the Pew Bible, it's, it's page 861. For those of you who want to find it, I recommend you go to your table of contents and find out what page it is if you don't have a pew Bible. Um, but Jonah, the book of Jonah, unlike the other prophetic messages, doesn't contain a prophetic message. The story itself is the message. And oh, what a story it is. And the things that we learn as we see God dealing with Jonah through his circumstances and through his heart. And that's why we call this Lessons from a Fish Story. And uh, so we're going to learn a lot together today. But unlike most fish stories, there is no exaggeration today. We see simple things. God creates a storm. God sends a great fish to swallow Jonah. God calms the storm. God sends the great fish to uh, vomit Jonah out. I always love that word, vomit. Vomit Jonah. I don't get to use that very often. Vomit Jonah out onto dry land. And then we see God, because Jonah's distressed with the heat, he raises up a plant to give him shade. And then because he wants to teach Jonah a lesson, he sends a worm to destroy the plant. And then there's one more miraculous event that's greater than all of those. So we will go through that miracle as well as all the other ones as we go through the book of Jonah together. So turn with me to Jonah. And during today, I'm going to read some, I'm going to, actually read some of the verses and paraphrase some of the other ones, but we'll get through it. So when you open the book of Jonah, you're going to see four, there's just four chapters. Each one has a very good component to the overall message of Jonah. Jonah is an exciting book, it's action-packed, and it goes fast, so stay with me. We're going to start out with chapter one, we're going to go through verses one through two. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amiti, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. So we start out with a command from God directly to Jonah. And when we see this command, we realize it's direct, it's not fuzzy. And so Jonah should understand this command. But to give you a perspective of what Jonah is hearing let me tell you a little bit about the Ninevites. So the city of Nineveh was the largest city in the Assyrian Empire. 
about 120,000 people. The Assyrian Empire, Empire was, the most, was the most powerful kingdom at that time in history. And the Assyrians were known to be a warring people, a conquering people, a heartless people, a cruel people. They were idol worshipers, and they were enemies of the nation of Israel. Interesting assignment for Brother Jonah. And it causes us to go to our first lesson, that God sometimes calls us to do things that seem impossible. But God, as Derek reminds us all the time, works through his people to accomplish only what God can accomplish and to accomplish his purposes. So God joins with his people, us, and when we're obedient, he works through us to accomplish the miraculous or things that have spiritual significance or kingdom significance. So a wonderful thing, I, wonder, I like about it, I think about it, we're on adventure with God, and you never know what he's going to call us to do. But we have to realize whatever it is, he will empower us, and he will take over the situation. So we should do it with great confidence as, as we go. Now to put this in perspective, not all of the things God asks us to do are these huge things, but to us they may still seem impossible. God may be prompting one of you to work in the children's ministry. God may be prompting one of you to join in the youth ministry. God may be prompting you to go and, 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 and share the gospel with that neighbor two doors down that you're not overly fond of. Those may be, seem like impossible things to you. But I ask you to keep in mind in what we're going to observe today in the book of Jonah, God will equip you. God will grant you and be with you when he asks you to go and serve or do whatever he's asking you to do. It might seem impossible because that's where we're looking at it from our perspective. Now, all the lessons we're going to go through today build on each other. That's lesson number one. So let's continue with the book of Jonah. So he got his command, and we know that Jonah, actually the reason he's called a prophet is he already had a prophecy from God. And uh, that prophecy that Jonah shared with the king, king, the king Jeroboam II, came true. And, and through that prophecy that Jonah did, the nation of Israel was blessed. So Jonah is a prophet held in high esteem. And you would think he has a wonderful relationship with God. So he'd go, God, I know this is a tough assignment, but you're going to be with me. I've seen you work in your might and your power, so let's go. But Jonah, is going to see, we'll see, is an unpredictable little guy. And he, so let's see how he responds in verse 3. But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa, Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare and went on board to go with them to Tarshish, away from the presence of the Lord. So Jonah is running from the Lord. He is not cooperating. He is rebelling against God. And we see that, just to kind of give you a perspective of how far he's trying to get away from this, 
Assyria is about 500 miles east of Israel. Tarshish is as far west as you could go at that time, All what's commonly uh, Spain today. So he is going as far as he can to get away from God. He wants no part of this assignment. And he is, so we have a rebellious prophet on our hands. And he is rebelling, why? Because he doesn't appreciate the command of God that God gave him. And what was the command? Effectively, the command was to go to a lost people, to tell them that destruction and judgment is coming if you don't repent. So we see here God has a heart for the lost, and Jonah is losing his perspective of God's heart, and he's rebelling. Now, to draw us deeper into Jonah's dilemma, we're going to turn to chapter 28 of Matthew, verse 19. Jesus gives us a command. And what's that command? Go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. We have a command to go out and share the gospel and the truth of Jesus. So keep that in mind as we go through the book of Jonah. We also are commanded to go out and share the good news. So let's continue with the book, uh, going through the first chapter. Now, I'm going to paraphrase verses 4 through 16, and then I'll read 17. So, Jonah's on the boat. How does God respond? He sends a great wind to the ocean, to the sea, and he raises up this dramatic storm. And the storm is so dramatic and so intense, the sailors are thinking the ship's gonna, is going to sink, and they fear for their lives. So the sailors, who are pagans, they call upon their gods. And this creates kind of what I call a sad, and a sad scene, because Jonah is asleep in the bottom of the boat. So we have a picture of these sailors praying to their gods that what? They have no power. But the one person on the boat that has a relationship and an understanding of the God that has all power, and especially power over all nature, is what? He's asleep in the bottom of the boat. Lesson number two for us. We are not to sleep and the word sleep means be negligent. We're not to be negligent in times of spiritual turmoil. We're not to sleep when the world needs to hear the messages of God and our testimony. I don't think there's a more relevant time for us to get this lesson. We're living in a dark time. There have been dark times in history, but we're in a dark time. Spiritual darkness is permeating and growing. We're in a spiritual battle. And who are we? 
we are God's people. We are the light that goes into darkness. So we need to be careful. We are not negligent. We're not asleep, which means passive, unconcerned, letting things take their own path. No, we need to be responsive. When God calls us to speak or to engage, we should do so with the love and compassion of God, bringing light into the situation. So an important lesson for us that's relevant for today, we're not to sleep in times of spiritual need. So let's keep going in the book of Jonah. Jonah's on the boat. There's a storm. They're praying to their God. They then cast lots, and the lot falls on Jonah, and they determine that Jonah is the source of God's agitation. <clears throat> so Jonah says, throw me overboard. God compels the sailors to throw him overboard. So we have Jonah now in the ocean. And what happens? Jonah is in the ocean. Verse 17. And the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish for three days and three nights. Now this verse is controversial. There are people that do not believe that is true. There are people that somewhat discount the book of Jonah, saying it's a nice book, but it's kind of a story just to show that God loves people. I'm telling you, this verse is true. It's a true say what? And it's a true <laughs> that it is in the Bible. A couple of things to think about. One, because I've read commentators ones that actually do believe it's a myth. I read commentators that go way out of their way to show that people have been swallowed by whales or whatever and live through it. But I simply say to all of us, is it a big deal for the God of the universe, the God who created heaven and earth, to manufacture, to create, and to command a great fish to swallow Jonah so he can accomplish his purposes? Derek took us through Genesis, creation story. Do you believe that? If you do, and the other miraculous events in the Bible, how is this difficult to believe that God would manufacture a fish, command the fish to swallow Jonah because he is accomplishing his purpose? And we're going to see there are great purposes that are accomplished as God works through Jonah. So I tell you, for me, I've, I, I firmly believe this. However, for those of you that need a little additional information, let's see what Jesus says about this story. If you'll turn with me to Matthew 28, I'm sorry, Matthew 12, verses 38 through 40. Jesus is talking to the religious leaders, and this is the interaction. Then some of the scribes and the Pharisees answered him, saying, Teacher, we wish to see a sign from you. But he answered them, An evil and adulterous generation seeks for a sign, but no sign will be given to it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. 
For just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. So as Jesus is rebuking the religious leaders, he's confirming the story of Jonah, and he's even elevating it to say it was a foreshadowing of my death and resurrection and for me being in the earth for three days. So Jesus elevates this event and confirms to me that it is real. So I'll leave it to you if you believe it or not. But for me, it's foundational and it's critical. But we're going to go on. Chapter 2. Now, chapter 2, remember, where is Jonah at this point? He's in the belly of the whale. And he's praying. Now, you would think that his prayer is, Lord, get me out of here. But that's not what he prays. He had a great sobering as he was inside the belly of the whale. And that he brought to realization that he was drowning. He relived his drowning experience. But then he realized God saved him. God orchestrated all these events to save him and to reconcile him back to God. So his prayer turned into a prayer of thanksgiving. And as we follow the prayer through, we also see it's a prayer where he acknowledges God as God. He puts his faith in him, and then he repents. So the prayer turns into a prayer of faith and repentance. And in doing so, how does God respond? Verse 10. And the Lord spoke to the fish, and it vomited Jonah out upon the dry land. I see a picture here of repentance and deliverance, which is a common theme throughout Jonah. When you repent, God reacts and responds favorably with restoration. <clears throat> so Jonah is now on dry land. So we go to chapter 3. I'm going to read verse 1. And then in reading verse 1, we'll pause for a second. The word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time. A lesson for us here. Our God is the God of second and third and fourth, etc., times of forgiveness and reconciliation. When we as a people repent and draw back to God, God is faithful to restore us and to reestablish the relationship. Now, for those of you that have been like Jonah, and I'm going to tell you I went through a long period of this, where you're effectively rebelling against God, you're moving away from the intimacy of the relationship of the abiding relationship we're called to, you begin living totally on yourself, what happens? After a while, you feel so far away from God, and there's usually a sobering moment where you're like, wow, I am so far from God. God couldn't use me anymore. I'm sure God doesn't love me anymore. I'm sure God doesn't desire to have a relationship with me anymore. But I'm telling you, that is a lie 
of the evil one. It is not true. So for those of you who are wandering now, who are separated from your relationship with God, I encourage you to pray a prayer of repentance and ask God to fully restore your relationship. And then I'm going to ask you to look and see if God answers that prayer. He will. So I just encourage you to do that. It's a very important thing, repentance, restoration. If you want to be restored, pray that prayer. That would be my goal. It's not like I'm really getting preachy here, sorry. Uh, but so it's such important. Now let's continue with chapter 3. I'm going to reread one again so it counts together. I'll read verses 1 through 4. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city. And call out against it the message that I tell you. So Jonah arose and went to Nineveh, according to the word of the Lord. Now Nineveh was exceedingly great city, three days' journey in breadth. Jonah began to go into the city, going a day's journey. And he called out, Yet forty days, and Nineveh will be overthrown. So here we see God gives another command to Jonah very similar to the first command, go to Nineveh and tell them what I tell you to say. This time, Jonah is obedient. He goes to the center of the city. That's why it says it's three days around, but he's in the middle of it. And he speaks the word of God. Verse 5, how do the people respond? And the people of Nineveh, believed God. They didn't attribute this message to Jonah. They attributed it to God. And they called for a fast and put on sackcloth from the greatest of them to the least of them. So all the way from the king to the most common person, they put on sackcloth and they fasted, which is evidence of repentance, sorrow, and mourning and asking God for help. And as we go, if you go deeper into a few of those verses, you'll see they profess turning away from their evil ways. So again, we see a repentance. We're going to see how God responds to it. But I want to pause here and say, this is the most miraculous event of them all. One man, obedient to God, speaking the word of God, impacted 120,000 people. Amazing. Only God can accomplish this. But he accomplished it through Jonah, and he accomplished it through the power and the might of his word, anointed by the Holy Spirit, which we need to remember. We speak it, God anoints it. Now, let's see if anybody else wants to confirm this. Some of you are out there going, how is that possible? But it's in the Bible. But let's turn to Matthew 12, verse 41 this time. Jesus comments on this event also. Verse 41. The men of Nineveh, and he's speaking to the religious leaders again of his time, 
will rise up at the judgment with this generation, which means the generation Jesus is speaking to, the religious leaders who are not re repenting and are not acknowledging him, him as the Messiah, the people of Nineveh will rise up at judgment with this generation and condemn it, for they repented at the preaching of Jonah. So Jesus is confirming this event also. So miraculous is happening. God is working a mighty work. And we see this, that, um, that I just think this is the most miraculous event in the world at that time. So how does God respond? Verse 10. When God saw what they did, how they turned from their evil way, God relented of the disaster that he had said he would do to them. And he did not do it. So God relinquished. God honored their repentance, and he took back his judgment against them. And we see that, they, that Jesus even affirmed this. So a most, I think, in, in, in the history of anything I ever from reading the Bible, the largest conversion ever in history. And so you go to book four, I mean chapter four. We're going to chapter four, the end of the book. I'm confident, and I'm sure you are too, Jonah is overjoyed to be a part of this great event. And I'm sure that Jonah is going to give great um, uh, comments and praise and worship of God and bring him great glory for the event that happened here. However, Jonah is a little unpredictable, as we said. So let's read verse 1. But it displeased, it displeased Jonah exceedingly. And he was, what? Angry. Now, this deserves a, say what? I mean, how is that possible that he could respond that way? And it is because Jonah really reveals to us the tragic impact of a hardened, callous, judgmental heart and attitude and mind. When you get to a point where, and what was his issue? He hated the Assyrians. He did not believe that God should redeem them. He believed they should be judged. They should be destroyed. So what has he done? Jonah has set himself up as judge. And he has put his will above God's will. He has lost sensitivity to God's heart for the lost. And he thinks it's much more important that the nation of Israel is, is the nation that God honors. And God shouldn't be showing favor and grace and mercy to other people. He's lost his way because he's so hard-hearted and so judgmental. Something for us to guard against. And we're going to talk about that a little more. But let's go to uh, the next verse, which is as amazing to me as anything. 
And he prayed to the Lord, and this is Jonah we're talking about, and said, O Lord, is this not what I said when I was yet in my country? That is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish. For I knew that you are a gracious God and a merciful... Well, I'm going to slow down. Jonah is telling God why he left and fled to Tarshish the first time he got the command. And this is his reason. I know that you are a gracious God, merciful, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love, and relenting from disaster from those that repent. He knows God. He's been in the nation of Israel who has an intimacy with God. He knows the nature and the character of God, and he describes it perfectly here. And I pause to say, this is our God. This is the God we serve. How miraculous and wonderful it is. This is our God. We should possess the characteristics that God has when we're dealing with people. We should guard against being like Jonah. Be the judge, be hard-hearted against them. And so I expand on this a little bit because I think it's so important, especially in today's world. The world wants us to be like it. It wants us to respond to things with anger, bitterness, res respond to the fears that are being put out there. There is a lot going on out in the world. And as you read the news, as you hear, and as you engage with people, we're going to be put in situations that are going to design to cause us to look like the world in our response. Instead, we should remember the characteristics of God we should remember that we are children of God and we should be mindful to look at people as God looks at them, not the way we want to look at them. With grace and mercy and love, we should also be reminded that the world has blinded most of the people we've talked to and most of the people we talk to are lost. So we should be filled with compassion and care and concern. Now, I'm going to tell you about an event, about an event that happened that somebody shared with us. Linda and I were on vacation with a couple. We were at dinner, and he shared this. I think this point kind of brings to home the world we're living in today and the, and the nature of, of society and what's happening and guard us because it's a subtle thing, but it has big ramifications. So he told us his pastor, he, it's, a, it's a church in Texas, talked to the congregation from the pulpit and said to them, I have been observing your conversations over the last several months. I've been participating in your conversations. And I can tell you with great faith that you as a congregation would accept pretty much anybody in here, regardless of race, regardless of ethnic background, regardless of social status. Everybody but one group. 
And that group are Democrats. Now, this is a true story. Now, that's an interesting comment because we have to guard ourselves. That in this world that tries to be divisive, tries to create fear, anxiety, and bitterness, we don't become like the world. We remember we are God's people and we bring light and goodness. Now, I am not saying in any way that we as God's people, I'm going to say it more positive, we as God's people stand for truth. We're not compromising truth. But how we speak and how we respond, again, I'm repeating myself a little, we should remember those people are lost, they're blinded, and we should have compassion and care and we should speak with the grace and the mercy that God has. In doing so, our overall focus should be that we're delivering to them the message that Jesus has died on the cross, that Jesus, through his saving grace and mercy, offers them salvation. That should be our focus. And we should be confident that in our way we express ourselves, we don't lose our witness. Very important thing and very difficult in this time. And I am raising my hand. I was totally convicted over all this. I reflected on conversations that I've had with people. I probably didn't lose my witness in the conversation, but I sure never thought about their salvation or cared about their salvation. I walked away kind of shaking the dust off my feet, like I'm glad these people are gone. It's very bad. Uh, and so I was greatly convicted over this. So I think it's a good reminder for us. And so as we go to the end of Jonah, so I leave you, that's the, probably the most, most important point for me, is that we as God's people should never respond with anger and bitterness. We should not get sucked into being like the world. We should stand out uh, in a whole different light. And we should be conscious of bringing people salvation not winning arguments, and, and be careful not to lose our testimony. But as we go through the rest of the book of Jonah, just in case you read it, and I'm going to encourage you to read the book, uh, the last part is really God working on Jonah's heart. And essentially, he does that in two ways. One, Jonah's miserable because Jonah builds a hut waiting for God, for, them, for the Assyrians to stumble so he can bring judgment on them. That's what he's hoping for. That's how bitter he is. And God, out of his mercy, raises up a plant because Jonah's miserable sitting out there in the heat. And he brings him shade, and you, Jonah's overjoyed. But then God reminds him, you're overjoyed because I brought you pleasure. You need to have compassion and care for other people. And because he's so self-centered, then God destroys the plant with a worm. And then he brings a hot wind to make it even more miserable for Jonah reminding him that this is what life is like when you're in full of yourself. You lose your joy. You lose your peace. You lose your relationship with me, God, and you're on your own, and you're acting on your own, and you're acting in ways that are counter to my nature and my love. Therefore, your life is going to be tough. 
So that's kind of how he ends it, and it's a very abrupt end. But these are things to think about, lessons for us to ponder on, especially as we are called out into society today. So let me close with prayer. Father, we thank you for the book of Jonah. We thank you, Lord, that you are a God that has great compassion and care for the lost. You have a great compassion for those that are wandering. You are a forgiving God. You're a God that loves for us to repent and come back to you. You have care and concern for us and for the world. I pray, Father, that you guard our hearts and we don't let us be influenced by fear or bitterness and that instead we are reminded to look at people the way you do. Give us your heart, Father, as we engage with people in this world. Your blessing and protection over us as a congregation, your blessing and protection on us as we leave this place. May we represent you well, Father. I pray that you um, just guide us in all we do. Thank you, Father, for your mercy and kindness. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.